Welcome everyone to our NCAA social series. This is episode number 53. I'm Andy Katz. I'm pleased to be joined by Amy Wilson, the managing director of the NCAA Office of Inclusion, and LeGuin Durden. She's the director of the NCAA Sports Science Institute. Uh, Amy and LeGuin, uh, we're going to talk about uh, a policy here within the NCAA that I think is incredibly important. Um, the issue of transgender uh, student athletes. Um, this is an incredibly personal decision that human beings go through throughout the course of life, through their adolescence, into young adulthood and beyond. Um, Amy, let me start with you. Why was there a need for a policy? Hi, Andy, and, and thanks. It's good to be with you today. And, you know, it, the NCA recognizes that we exist to provide, you know, educational sport, and we, we believe it enhances the educational experience of all our student athletes. And so give a lot of credit to persons who were in this space, working in this space over a decade ago before I was ever here, who realized that there was no pathway to opportunity for transgender student athletes um, to play a sport in the NCA system or no clear guidance on how they could play a sport um, you know, and be on a team that matched their gender identity. And so a lot of, we'll talk later about all the work that went into and the membership um, coming together on this. But, you know, we, if we believe this enhances the lives of young people and, and helps them in all sorts of ways, we wanted, you know, to provide that opportunity. So it's important for all. So Amy, let's, let's deal with the policy as yeah. itself. Um, how was it formed and uh, yeah. who specifically or which organizations were involved? Yeah, sure. I'd love to provide some of that history. So in, um, you know, around 2008-2009, the um, Women's Sports Foundation and the National Center for Lesbian Rights sponsored a think tank and on transgender student athlete participation. And there were several uh, NCAA representatives who attended that. We did not have the Sports Science Institute yet. That was founded, I believe, in 2014. So, but we did have a health and safety area. So NCAA staff from health and safety, from inclusion and other areas of the NSA attended that think tank. And coming out of that, uh, leaders from there and our staff then started to work together to think about what would a policy look like that worked in the NCAA. And I just wanna emphasize, you know, everything that we do is membership directed. So when that policy started to get on paper, it went to division one, two, and three key committees there. It went to our student athlete advisory committees to SAC. Um, it went to the, the Committee on Competitive Safeguards and Medical Aspects of Health, which is so important, um, and that our health and safety people lead. Committee on Women's Athletics and other committees in our inclusion space. And so working together, they developed that policy, which was ultimately approved in 2010 by our executive committee, which at the time was the name for our presidents and chancellors that lead the NCAA. It's now called the Board of Governors. But again, it's an association-wide policy, so it was our presidents that approved it. And you know what it was trying to achieve was a balance between fairness and inclusion, between competitive equity and providing that pathway to opportunity. So Le Guin, what is the policy's main objective? Yeah, great question. So NCAA um, core values include student athlete well-being um, and also creating a fair and inclusive environment. So the goal of this policy um, is to provide a pathway to athletic participation for our transgender student athletes um, while being based on the core values um, that I just mentioned. Um, 
this policy is consistent with other policies that um, mandate a year of testosterone suppression therapy. Um, it's also important to note that our current policy allows for the student athlete's physician um, to oversee the process. Picking up on that, um, and, and I wanted to lay this out at the beginning as well, um, there's a mental health aspect to this as well. Um, so maybe Le Guin and Amy, you could add to that, the, the stress, the, the, the human stress that goes into this, uh, regardless of where you are uh, within your own search for your identity. Yeah, I can, I can actually share a story that um, highlights that, that mental health stress um, for all of our student athletes, whether you're transgender, cisgender, non-binary. Um, one of our committee members shared an experience that they witnessed at um, a championship event. Um, it was a track meet and a transgender student athlete um, actually won the track meet or won that event However, the other competitors in that event all um, went to the, the um, individual that finished second, um, almost in a manner of, of consolation, whereas the, the transgender student athlete that won the event was left alone, um, isolated. So you can see, like you're mentioning, that humanizing and, and, and that mental um, health issue it's impactful for, for anyone in that environment, um, whether you're the individual that's isolated or the individual that's um, made to feel that um, what they accomplished wasn't a successful event. Amy, if you could dovetail off of that. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think that's a great example. Um, you know, my office communicates regularly with, with transgender and non-binary students, student athletes who reach out and want to know more about the policy or the process. and. And you know there are mental health challenges. It's also knowing that they are on a journey to affirm who they are. So while there are challenges there, it's also um, a sense of relief or a sense of empowerment to see people becoming who they really are. I mean, we want our student athletes to reach their potentials. And, and if you're gonna do that, you have to be your true self and you have to be able to, to um, express your core identities and, and their intersections. And I also note, that we have a number of coaches or administrators who reach out and it, it's a mental health struggle for them too to make sure are we doing everything we can to support our student athletes and how so i don't want to minimize that either that those who teach and lead student athletes are also an important part of this dialogue because they are um critical in creating um, a kind of environment where all of our student athletes can prosper you know laguna just that that anecdotal story stresses even more the need for that village for that sense of community uh, that every stakeholder has to be involved. So, you know, to that point, um, what are some of the most frequent questions uh, that you get from the membership on, the, on this issue that could involve, you know, how do we help? How do we navigate this? Yeah, another great, great question, Andy. So a lot of the questions that, um, that I field have to do with, um, the process for the um, medical exception protocols that student athletes um, that may be tra transitioning have to follow. Um, so it's more about um, submitting the information, um, what medical documentation is necessary. 
that leads to some discussion about the actual care for the student athlete um, with regard to the physician that um, may be um, managing their care on campus. Um, it also has to do with um, making sure that they follow the appropriate protocols um, involved with use of what might be considered a banned substance or might be a banned substance based on um, our um, drug testing program um, and, and making sure that they are following all of those guidelines and parameters. So the, it's more about the process um, required for um, a transgender student athlete to be cleared to participate based on medical exceptions. Um, Amy's office in inclusion may field some uh, questions that are a little bit more different than that perspective. You want to add on yeah. that? Yeah, sure. And, you know, Le Guin and all the Sports Science Institute are great partners with us, and we certainly work together. A lot of times it's both of us working together to, you know, to, to support. Um, as you can imagine, Andy, with 1,100 schools, <laughs> with all different missions, um, you know, we get varied questions. Um, some will reach out and say, we've never in our athletics department had a conversation about transgender or non-binary student athlete participation. We've never talked about it. We're not sure what we would do if, if you know, a student athlete came in and told us that, that they identified that way and wanted to participate. So we try to meet those in the athletics department where they are, where can we help them where they are now? Um, we get questions such as um, administrators or, or coaches asking about, uh, you know, I have a student athlete that's telling me that they are transitioning. What does that mean? And, and what's really important to that is that the transition experience for every person is unique to them and to their own personal development. So some may choose only a social transition that could involve changing a name or a pronoun or even the way they express their gender. Um, others, as Le Guin just mentioned, uh, may move towards um, hormone therapy of some type. Of some type. Um, others may eventually decide on surgery or other places. So it's, it's respecting that individual journey. And so we try to educate coaches and administrators about what that is and how they can best be, be part of that. And um, you know, also I think one of our messages is that as teachers and leaders of young people, we wanna be ready when they need us. So one of the best things that we can do is not wait and be reactive to, to having this conversation, but to do what we can to educate ourselves so that we are ready to support young people on this journey. And that would include cisgender students who have questions about what this means or also are asking for education. Um, it is a learning process and people have to be willing, I think, to put ignorance and fear aside and come to the table to see the human side of this and to learn about people's journeys. And, and you know, again, it's a core identity for folks. And sometimes we're not recognizing that in the way that we do other core identities for people. Um, Le Guin, I wanna to turn to you now. Um, what makes this space so challenging from a policy and governing perspective? Yeah, th this is definitely a complex issue. Um, one reason why it's so challenging is because the, the science slash medical community um, really hasn't reached a um, consensus on testosterone threshold. Um, we don't have a definitive answer about that. Um, if there is a threshold, what should that threshold be? So that, that's one piece that um, really makes this problematic when we're trying to develop policy. Um, the lack of research is another issue. And um, 
not to say that there's no research there, but when we are taking the deeper dive and considering what's important for our population of athlete, um, we aren't finding the research that's specific to uh, collegiate athletes. Um, if you drill down a bit more um, and talk about sports specific athlete, uh, I'm sorry, sports specific impact, um, when you consider strength and um, power and possible cardiovascular benefits, when you think about um, a sport um, and look at uh, a sprinter versus a distance runner and having some of the specifics, definitive um, research and studies to um, direct our or inform us when we are trying to determine what's the best policy for our student athlete. Those, those are really significant challenges that we're faced with right now. And what are the challenges from a health and safety standpoint? So from health and safety, um, it's, it's really about um, the care that student athletes are receiving. Um, what we um, have heard and have learned is that there are some student athletes that may be transitioning that don't have access to individuals that um, really understand this process for them, um, are able to um, provide um, adequate medical care and coverage consistently. Um, so one piece is access to individuals in the sports medicine or medical community that can really direct and guide the student athlete as they go through this process. You know, I, I, I got to just go back to LeGuin's story here for a moment, Amy. I'm just curious also um, from a transphobic aspect, um, how can uh, the policies, uh, the headquarters, the community help educate people uh, to avoid some of that transphobia uh, that she alluded to in that, in that, in that track uh, example? Yeah, so you know, everyone learns differently. Sometimes a social series like this they can listen to is helpful. Um, we certainly have resources on our inclusion website. There are great websites out there, Chris Mosier's Trans Athlete, all kinds of places where you can get good information. Um, I, I would say that, you know, back to the problems with this policy and governance and the transphobia, it, it's not an all or nothing. You know, we have to shut down all opportunity for participation. Um, and that's sort of where, you know, we see some direction. And I think there's some myths that are developing. Um, we talked about them briefly earlier, you know, uh, before we started this, that this, this myth that, um, you know, we're going to see male athletes, you know, say, oh, I'm, I'm a transgender female and I'm going to go win a medal. And I'm going to, we, we haven't seen in the 10 years we've had this policy, we've not seen one example in the NCA of anyone using that as a way to access women's sports, someone who's uh, born male to, you know, to do that. We, we've also not seen in the 10 years we've had the policy, the end of sports for girls or women at the college level. So I think it's, it's easy to jump to these major conclusions. And when we do that, we're forgetting about the impact on the individuals, right? The, the overall, their story, their journey, their human experience, and how we wanna prioritize our care and concern for people. So um, we certainly you know, are working towards both um, competitive equity and inclusion. We know that's important. Though, as was Gwen said earlier, those are core values, but 
there are some myths that are perpetuating and it's easy to jump to that and hold on to it without being willing to open your mind. And I'll say this, one of the, you know, life-changing experiences are to hear stories um, directly from transgender non-binary student athletes, but I'll also say it goes back to, we shouldn't always rely on the minoritized community to educate us. We also have a responsibility as leaders to educate ourselves and to listen carefully to the stories of others as part of that education. Um, all right, so a couple of quick things here. Um, and I guess I'll start with you, LeGuin, you tell me, um, you know, you, the two of you can tackle this. So who was involved in the Gender Identity Summit? Uh, and, and maybe, Amy, on the back end, you can say just, you know, what were some of the key takeaways? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Gender Identity Summit was a great event. We had a broad representation um, from the membership. There were university presidents, um, athletic directors, um, team physicians and athletic trainers, um, mental health professionals, and, and external uh, subject matter experts. Um, and importantly, there was also representation from the student athlete body, including both uh, cisgender and transgender student athletes. Um, we actually conducted a student athlete panel where attendees were able to hear um, their experience um, as a transgender student athlete and things that um, they may have faced during their collegiate career or continue to face. Um, so a, a great variety of perspective, um, great open dialogue from uh, different individuals experiences, expertise and understanding as well as subject matter. Yeah, and I'll just follow to say, um, I think some of the immediate takeaways from the two days we spent together in early October as part of the summit. And, and I'll also note, just to back up a second, that it was, it, the membership asked for this summit. Our inclusion committees that have our membership on it and our, our Committee on Competitive Safeguards and Medical Aspects of Sport all came together to say, the evidence isn't here to say we need to change this policy or to give us direction we need to hold the summit and we need to be at the table and continue the, this important dialogue. And, and what, what we learned were a couple of things. It is absolutely essential to prioritize the voice of student athletes in all of this. The NSA exists because of student athletes. All of us work in athletics, college athletics, because of student athletes. If that was a priority, that we needed to continue to listen to those voices and those stories. We also realized um, that education was essential, that even folks who read our materials and came to that summit still had fundamental questions um, about transgender non-binary student athlete participation and that we needed to really think through um, how we could support that education. And then lastly, it's the point LeGuen has already articulated so well that you know, we, need, we need to wrap our arms around the research that exists and also to identify the places where it's not there. And as a higher ed organization, we need to be at the table to try to encourage that research and to find the best ways forward for our student athletes. I think those were the key takeaways in the immediate um, aftermath of the summit. And LeGuin and I are proud and, and dedicated to continuing to lead the important actions coming out of the summit. And LeGuin, I don't know if you wanna talk a little bit about the writing group that we're organizing and the narrative review that is coming. Yeah, thanks, Amy. So um, as Amy mentioned, one of the takeaways um, from the summit is, uh, a narrative literature review. And um, we are fortunate enough to have established a core writing group who will assist with that and um, take a deep dive into 
the research that exists and examine that and determine what is applicable to our scenarios with our student athletes and hopefully provide some um, real grounded foundational information grounded in the science and the literature um, information that will help inform us when we um, move to make policy recommendations. You know, so to that point, um, Laguna and Amy, you know, I, what I think is great here is that this is being proactive. Uh, you can't necessarily wait to see what happens in various states or at the federal level, um, that this needs to be proactive from the NCAA, from the membership, uh, so that any individual across the country at any level in sports division one, two, three, feels like someone is looking out for them, that there could just maybe be one person going through this, at least to know there's a policy to protect that one person, because all these people obviously deserve that right as a student athlete within the NCAA membership. Um, so how, how do you tackle um, that outreach, uh, Amy? I'll start with you about letting everyone know that, you know, we're on this, we're evolving, we're changing, but you've got advocates here. If you are going through this, if you've already made a personal decision, uh, regardless of what stage you are in that search for your own identity, or if you've made that choice on your own. Yeah. So, you know, LeGuin and I have, have been talking to a lot of audiences. Just last week, we talked to Division One, Two, and Three SAC, our Student Athlete Advisory Councils, to let them know what we're doing and to bring them into the conversation. Our annual inclusion forum will be held the first week of June. Um, there will be an educational ses session on transgender and non-binary student athlete participation. Um, and last week, we recorded a, a short video that was sent out to all of the membership kind of talking through what is the policy, we're here to support you. So we're, we're thinking through this in, in complex ways and all of those participants at the summit, we're inviting them to come along with us to form groups to work on harnessing educational materials that already exist and creating new ones. So we're at the table and we're committed to, um, you know, supporting the membership. And, 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 on, and we hope that as we support athletics that ripples across campus as well, right? That, that the presence of sport on campus and the work we're doing will affect higher education more broadly. Uh, LeGuin, I'll give you the final word. Oh man, no pressure. <laughs> uh, so I, I think that Amy said it well, um, we are trying to make the membership aware. Um, this uh, social series is one of the ways that we're doing that and all of the other things that, that Amy listed. I, I think it's really important that the membership understands that we are here coming into um, through the avenue of transgender student athletes. Um, it can be through the mental health, it can be through the athletics healthcare administrator, it can be through any of the avenues um, that are the tentacles of the association. Um, so I, I think just understanding that we're here for support we're in, and we welcome um, any questions, any concerns, any constructive criticisms um, and anything that we can do to provide guidance as, and resources for the, for the membership, that's, that's our goal. Well, uh, Amy uh, and Le Guin, I appreciate it. Uh, and I hope everyone watching realizes the hard work that's going in and that uh, 
if anyone is going through this or any coach administrator, uh, there are advocates out there, policies being evolved on and that uh, uh, everyone has a right, obviously, uh, to be protected. So obviously this is a positive step forward uh, and an evolving topic that uh, is long overdue being addressed. Uh, as always, we appreciate your time here watching us here on our NCAA social series. We're with you every week. This is episode 53, and you can always check out ncaa.org slash social series. And last week we posted the year edition, basically, where you can get all 52 episodes there. Well, now we're on to year two here, episode 53. You can find them all archived and go back to when Amy was on the program earlier in the year. So uh, we've got repeat uh, guests here, and Laguin, I'm sure we will have you back at some point as well. So we'll talk again next week. Stay safe, everyone.